While some of our children are exiting this morning, I just thought I'd bring to your attention um, that I am not preaching on hell this morning, and that's not why the temperature is the way it is. We are not quite that advanced to set the atmosphere. We didn't turn the temperature up for that. Um, as you know, it's been hot, and we're trying to find the right balance of uh, adjusting thermostats around here, and in so doing, t- two of our units froze up, and so they're giving it all she's got, Captain, which ain't much right now. Uh, one of the solutions are these two massive um, ceiling fans, attic fans. One of the concerns is, as we turn those on, um, it could be a snow effect of insulation that might. So we figured we've done all the special effects we want to do for now. But we may, uh, if, if a few of you don't mind hanging back, we may try to turn those on, have those Dysons ready to try to, just to see after the service. Not now, not on you, but after the service, okay? So thank you so much. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter number 6. We're coming to the end. I've got one more message after this. I feel like this message... This morning is still fitting, even with things going where they're going. The Word of God is timeless, and when we let the Word of God speak for itself, it's pretty remarkable where it lands, when it lands. However, I said it before this uh, service began. Some of you were still coming in. I'll say it again. On, On July the 10th, that's not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, that's the Sunday that Grace Covenant Church At the corner of South Boulevard and East Boulevard, if anyone's watching online and wants to uh, wonder exactly where we are, in case you have an opinion on the matter, we welcome you to worship with us. Uh, But we stand for life. We are for, um, we love love women, and we love uh, protecting women. And the funny thing about women is they start as infants in the womb, and so we are pro-women, and we are pro-life, and if you... Uh, claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are pro-life. And so we will stand for life, and we're going to see what God's Word says about it. Um, Because as you know and I know, one of the arguments is, oh, well, this word's not in the Bible, and that word's not in the Bible. I dealt with that a little bit last week, the, the lunacy of that, but we'll go there. We'll see what God's Word has to say, and then we'll talk about our activities that following week. This morning, though, and next week, we're going to finish up Galatians. And it's, it's timely. It's right where it needs to be. Last week, we talked about this incredible call to join the Holy Spirit, to be a part of what the Spirit is doing. And um, we're wondering what the payoff will be. Like chapter 5 was walking with the Spirit and living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And you're wondering like, oh, wow. So if we do that, in chapter 6, he's probably going to tell us that we're like, I don't know, we can do magic or something. Like we can say, hey, I'm going to do a miracle. Watch this. Do something with our hands crazy or make something uh, disappear or reappear. I mean, all this walking in the Spirit and being in the same Spirit that raised Jesus up from death and from the grave. The Bible says that we were set free for freedom's sake. We, those of us who were in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have come to put our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, His work on the cross, And not just his work on the cross, but the fact that he was virgin born, lived a sinless, spotless life, was crucified on a criminal's cross outside the city, buried in a borrowed tomb because he was dead, raised to life on the third day, extended his arms once again to all of humanity and saying, come, follow me. Come, let me make you new. He paid our sin debt in full. He took the wrath that you and I deserved 
and absorbed all of that himself so that we could stand forgiven and walk in freedom. That's chapter 5, setting that up for us. So how do we get there? We've been set free from the bondage of sin. We've been set free from the old ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. We've been set free from ourselves, from the wrath to come. Set free from the fear of tomorrow, from the guilt of the past. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready for my assignment. What's the payoff? What does it look like? What's chapter 6 about? What do we get with all this walking, living, and keeping in step? Is there a secret of a miracle working power here? Kind of, but maybe not like you think. You ready? Chapter 6 is about the necessity of the Spirit-filled life so that we can live in harmony as a local church. What's that again? We need the fruit of the Spirit to put up with church people. I mean, if I could be like, can I just say it that way? I mean, we need God's help to put up with each other because we've met each other. We've seen each other on our good days and bad days. I know me. Y'all need a double dose sometimes. I'm sure to put up with some of my silliness. Now, I'm being a little trite about it, but, but the reality is this. The, the people that are living the spirit-filled life are assembled in local churches, and those people care for one another in a way that shows up, and they share with one another in a way that shows up. In fact, those are the two headers we'll use this morning. Let's look at the first five verses under that header. We, we who are together in the Spirit, really care for one another. And it shows. I mean, we really genuinely care for one another. And it shows. How does it show up? Look with me at verse 1, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's verse one. Let that sink in for just a minute. We're not talking about someone who has set themselves up to fail, right? Someone who is constantly in premeditated, unrepentant, I'm gonna sin, can't nobody tell me what to do, get out of my face, I'm my own individual. This um, reckless, individualistic, autonomous, I'm my own God kind of thing. That's not who's being addressed here. This is talking about a brother or sister in Christ who is, the word picture from the original language is this, they're running from sin, but they trip and sin runs over them. Got it? This wasn't somebody looking for a fight. This is somebody who got mugged. That's the picture here. Look at the contrast between that. I don't have the verse up on the screen. Just look in your Bible at the last verse of chapter 5 that Pastor Norm read. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, the heartless opportunist sees a brother or sister fall and uses that to make themselves look good. Now, nobody here does that, but you know of people that do that, right? The only way they've gotten ahead of life is to stand on the heads of those that they've kicked while they were down. That's not very nice, is it? People shouldn't do that. I can just hear one of my kids saying, that's not very nice. And if the only way that we feel good about ourselves is when other people fail, well, we've got all kinds of issues going on, don't we? That's not the way to live filled with the Spirit. The believers who are in step with the Spirit 
run to restore and run to protect because this is our family. Let me show you somebody that's conceited. What, what did it say? Conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Uh, you, you may want to turn there. I'll read it to you if you'll let me. John 8, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus. Remember the occasion? They say, teacher, teacher. And I'm sure they went, teacher, to get everybody's attention around them. It doesn't say that, but I'm imagining. Teacher, this woman, they're saying it loud so everybody can hear the trap they're setting for Jesus because they're so clever. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, right, you see them pulling their glasses off and going like this. In the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such a woman. What do you say, teacher? And Jesus' marvelous response in that, what does he do? He doesn't say anything. He just kind of bends down and starts writing in the sand. And many a sermon, not based on biblical authority, but great conjecture, have been preached about what he wrote in the sand. I mean, I can fill in some blanks. It's kind of fun. That's camp meeting preaching that doesn't really um, do much good, but it's fun to hear, right? I think he wrote, you don't know what he wrote. Whatever he wrote, it was enough that they all like drop their stones and run away because he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Well, we know the story of the adulterous woman, but I want you to focus on the Pharisees and the scribes that found this woman. Were they looking for her? Like, what, what was that about? That found this woman and then took her to Jesus to trip him up. Th this is not the way people who walk in the Spirit respond. This is not the way that people respond who want to be spiritual. It may look, make you look and feel spiritual for a moment to kick someone while they're down, but that's not the Bible way. The spiritual Christian, watch this, displays the fruit of the Spirit as they approach someone in need. We do it carefully, keeping a watch on ourselves. Hebrews 5 tells us it's a mature Christian who can discern right and wrong in a brother's life. Well, I think that one of the identifying marks of us caring for one another is the fact that we do that. We restore with humility. The second indication that I think we care for one another is in verses 2 to 3 where the Bible tells us that we readily bear one another's burdens. We readily bear burdens. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Here's the big picture here. When you see believers who are keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, Christians, I love the way Flip Benham describes them often, gentle, Jesus-loving Christians who want to stand in the gap for the voiceless and the vulnerable. But you see Christians who are walking in the Spirit, then you're going to find a biblical community, a local church that is marked by love. Not hallmark kind of love, sentimental kind of love. Yeah, we do send out some cards. But, um, but humble, gentle, gracious, and at the same time, strong, courageous, and full of conviction kind of love. This is the kind of love that restores. This love always seeks first the glory of God and then the good of somebody else. It also seeks to unify the body of Christ. That's what love looks like. I love Grace Covenant Church. 
I'm not speaking of the institution or the 501c3 or anything like that. I'm saying I love the family and the people that make up this body because you all run as fast as you can to somebody with a need. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it. I've experienced. I've been the beneficiary of that, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for that. We bear one another's burdens. Now, if you remember when Norm was reading, though, in verse 5, uh, just glance ahead at verse 5 in, in Galatians 6 and see what it says, right? We're told to bear one another's burdens, and then in verse 5 it says, for each will have to bear his own load. And before you say, pastor, pastor, that sounds like a contradiction. Well, there are two different words used there. Give me a minute. You know I'm going to go after those words, right? Bear one another's verse, uh, burden versus bearing your own load. The word burden used in verse 2 is the word baros, B-A-R-O-S. And it's a picture of a hardship that is crushing someone if they don't get help. Now, I'm not going to do a survey of the room, but if I'm just making eye contact, like I'm seeing people, brothers and sisters in Christ that I know have been through a burden. Some in one now, some gone through recently, and I'm looking here, and I'm looking there. Some of us know what it's like to be crushed under the weight of a burden and need help. Even if you're prideful and don't want to ask for help, you get to a point where you're like, I, I can't do this. I need some help. Somebody's got to help me. That's the picture of a burden. And the picture here is of a loving church that rallies to lift that burden. The word for load is the word portion. And that is a picture of the pack that a soldier would wear into battle. So this is something that they would decide, this fits you, this is for you, you can carry this, this is your portion, this is your pack that you carried. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew's gospel when he said, my yoke is easy and my portion, my burden, load for you is light. You can do this, you can do it right? That's the, that's the thing that's happening here. Put this on. This is one you can carry. You got the picture? So now let's do a little exercise. In my study, I was helped by a pastor that laid this out. I thought it was helpful, maybe for some of you. I'm going to list six scenarios, very briefly, just sentences. You tell me, let's see if we can figure out which one is a load that can be carried and is just the responsibility of the person, and which one is a burden, a crushing burden where we should run to ra rally, okay? Scenario number one, a young guy who constantly gets up late for work or school because he stays up playing video games all night asks you to wake him up every morning so he doesn't lose his job or flunk out of school. I don't think we're talking about a crushing burden, although the fellow's about to be crushed. I think we're talking about a load that he should be able to carry, right? Man up. Number two, a guy spends all of his money on beer, cigarettes, and lottery tickets and refuses to look for a job and then asks you for money. This is not a burden. This is a, it's time to, that's a pack you can carry, buddy. Change your spending. You with me? I'm giving you the answers, but I'm, I'm not going to give you this one. A businessman works 12-hour days, including Saturdays, and asks you to take his son to all of his baseball practices and games. Well, now, wait a minute. That's a family situation. Load. Which one do you think it is? Yeah, the dad needs to make some changes, Right? Because when he's on his deathbed, he's not going to say, you know, if I'd have just put in one more hour a day, I could have gotten that extra $100 in that bonus that one year. No. He's going to say, man, I wish I would have traded that to spend more time with my kids. 
That's a load that he can go. Okay, let's try three more. A married couple has three children, and one day there's an accident. One of the parents dies in a car wreck, and the remaining parent and the kids have needs. Well, that's a burden. We run to that, right? A husband abandons his wife for another woman, leaving her with four kids. She needs help meeting the daily responsibilities. Burden. I know you think you're ahead of me. You're ready to say the answer to the last one, but let me read it. An older, faithful church member gets sick and is having a hard time. She needs help with meals, transportation, and occasional living expenses. Burden. We are burden bearers when we walk in the Spirit. We are not, we're not enablers for laziness when people won't carry their load. You like that? That's Bible. Parents, next time you need to do that, that's, you got Bible for it, right? That happens. It happens in life. One through three are loads. Those have the weight of personal responsibility. Others are where we bear one another's burdens. There are legitimate needs and there are illegitimate needs. We have a benevolence team here at the church that tries to discern to the best of their ability when, when somebody asks for help and it happens that we don't have any connection to relationally. It's not a church member that's asking. It's a, somebody outside the church. Well, we want to steward our resources well. We want to be helpful where we can be helpful. But we also don't want to be enablers of just consistently bad behavior, right? We want to try to help, which doesn't always mean handing something out. We must carry our own load, but we help others bear burdens. Just a word to my church family here this morning in Grace Covenant, some of you that have life all together and you're awesome and you got it made in the shade, which is most of you. Some of you treat everything like a load. You think you can handle everything. And the reality is a crushing weight has come into your life and you're like, no, 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 I got this. I don't want to tell anybody about this. I got this. You're not allowing us to be obedient to the scripture by doing that you see God commanded us to help you carry that burden and if you don't tell us about it we can't help and you're like well I don't really need help I've got the resources I've got this that and the other you know what but that dear precious lady has been dying to do something for somebody and all she can do is make a casserole and she wants to make it and bring it to you let her everything's not a load everything's not a load it's okay to ask the body to help. And some of you treat everything like a burden. Everything's a crisis. Everything needs intervention. Everything needs everybody all the time. You occupy hours of people's time with things that you should take care of yourselves. That's the command of this text. We look out for one another, but we also don't deceive ourselves. Here's the next header under that. We care for one another. I'll be quick with this. We reject self-deception, verses three through five. We reject self-deception. That's how we care for one another. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a biggish step too. I love that, biggish. And a biggish step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. Here's his clincher. You ready? It ties right to 526 in Galatians. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. Right? It's like the person that wears the t-shirt. I'm the humblest person I know. Right? And you're like, oh, I'm, the, I'm not conceited. Uh, everybody else struggles with conceit, but I'm not conceited. Me, 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 me. Right? I worked with a precious woman of God 
at a nonprofit organization, and she would say of some folks who struggled in this area, she would say, you know, I think he has an exaggerated opinion of himself. Let that sink in for a minute. That'll preach. The Bible tells us to be sober-minded, though. In Romans chapter number 12, the grace that's given to me, we say to everyone, don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has given us faith and his word to make sober judgments about ourselves. The best antidote to self-deception is confession, right? Because we're so easily deceived. First John tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. First Corinthians 15 says, bad company ruins good morals. Don't be deceived. But thank God, First John also tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We kill conceit. We enable burden bearing by remembering the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. It said, if we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. And fulfilling the law of Christ, he took on our burden, our crushing weight of sin, and took it freely. And with joy set before him, endured the suffering and the shame of the cross. Wow. That's the way we love. That's what it looks like to walk with the Spirit. Our personal responsibility for our own actions show that we care for others. All right, second header this morning as we move to the second part of this text. We richly share with one another, and it shows. So we really care, and it shows, and we richly share with one another, and it shows. The first verse that we start with shows up as Galatians 6 6. Let the one who is taught the word. Share all good things with the one who teaches. Take care of the one who takes care of you. Be honest, a little awkward to preach this little point, but it's Bible, so I'm going to preach it. By caring for the needs of the shepherd teacher in the local church, this is what we say as a church family. We want the word of God taught faithfully and effectively, so we're going to support the one that teaches the word of God faithfully and effectively. Care for those who teach. Those of you watching online that attend somewhere else, make sure that you care for those who teach, not out of obligation or tradition, but because you love God and you love God's word and you want to see God's people obedient to God's word and walking in the spirit. Our Kit Hughes in his study on Galatians titled a whole section on this. He said, I titled the sermon that Sunday, Pay the preacher, he said, and it went over as you might expect. My, my commentary would be like a pregnant pole vaulter. That's how well it went over, right? <laughs> the reality is this. The elders at Grace Covenant Church decided long ago that one elder would be set aside for the preaching and the teaching of God's word and that they would do all they could to set that elder up in a way that the cares of life would not consume him otherwise. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to serve alongside these elders. I'm grateful for that. But the corporate function of the church doesn't mitigate our personal responsibility to care for those who teach. A kind word, a kind note, go a long way. Do you know a pastor around you that's struggling? You know a pastor that needs some encouragement? I'll tell you this, I've never gotten a note of encouragement on the wrong day, never. 
Thank you, Grace Covenant, for caring for us. The next point, we reap what we sow. So the first point I would say under us richly sharing is we're regularly generous. The next thing is we reap what we sow. Verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. The language changes there. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The law of the harvest is still in effect. The law of the harvest is what? We sow and reap like kind. We talked about this the other week, right? You don't plant green beans and expect tomato plants. It's just not the way it works. And you plant what you get, and you get what you plant. We also reap in a different season. Now, I think on the Jetsons, which we've started watching some at our house in the evening, old school, right? But on the Jetsons, they could put something in a thing, flip a little switch, push some buttons, a lot of buttons in their future. Do you notice that? No touchscreens, all just a bunch of mashing buttons. But they'd push some buttons, and then boom, something would grow. Well, life doesn't really work that way. And, and so I know some of you probably have some things at home that, or you've seen something on the internet that does work that way, but the real life for the rest of us. You sow something and there's a whole lot of waiting for it to come up. Things we tend to reap in a different season than we sow in. We reap more than we sow. You plant that tiny little seed and something big comes up. The other law of the harvest is this. We can't base future returns on past harvest. I can't say, oh, we've always had a good crop of tomatoes I don't need to plant any this year because we've always had good. You go like, well, no, that doesn't make sense. You, you need to plant so that you'll have some. That's what Paul is conveying here with the law of the harvest. Two longtime friends were talking on the phone and Becky said to Laura, why are you so optimistic about this upcoming year? Everything is falling apart. It's so messed up. What do you think this year is going to bring? Laura said, it's going to bring flowers. Becky said, flowers? What? Why would you say that? What are you talking about? She said, I'm planting flowers, so it's going to bring flowers. Pretty simple. What are you planting? That's what you'll reap. It's very simple. Regardless of what culture does, what you are planting, you can expect to reap. I want to say this about verse 8, too. I've already read it. I won't put it, it may be on the screen again, but I, I would say we reap where we sow. We reap where we sow. John MacArthur was helpful in saying this. There are only two fields laid out here that we can sow into. One is to the flesh and one is to the spirit. How do we sow to the flesh? Well, when we pander and we give in and we coddle our sinful, selfish desires instead of saying no and repenting and putting a stop to it, asking the Lord to help us, then we're sowing to the flesh. And if we keep doing that, it's going to catch up with us. That's the principle. And when we sow to the Spirit, how do we do that? Like the books that we read, the videos we watch, the podcasts we listen to, the posts we read, the people we hang with, if those things are pushing us down the road toward Christ, there's gonna be fruit and fruit that remains. This old adage is true. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny let's keep in step with the spirit let's sow to our spiritual growth not our earthly demise but let's keep this in context as well 
It's already been a little awkward when I said pay the preacher. Let's just go with money one more time, shall we? Because if you're not careful, people have taken this and make it into a prosperity theology, which it's not. But there is the law of the harvest that we must address. The context here, Paul is talking about financial support to the local church. That's the immediate context that he's describing and also the broader context of our spiritual health. Now, there are several reasons that people don't give to the local church. I think one of the reasons that is probably pronounced in our culture is I wonder, even if you love the church you attend, you wonder, will my little bit actually make any difference? I told you a couple of weeks ago that our expenses are just below about $30,000 a month. And you're like, well, I mean, I can't write a check for 25 grand. Well, I'm, I, I don't know that I've asked you to do that. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> but uh, I'm not asking you to do that. But, but that's not what we're talking about. It's, it's families just giving faithfully, individuals giving faithfully, generously, and at times sacrificially. And that need gets met consistently. But you hear that big number and you think, well, my $50 or my $500 isn't going to really help that. But I'm going to feel that that $50 or $500 is gone or whatever point it is. Well, that's the thinking that Paul is actually contending with here with the Galatians. He's shooting a shot across the bow saying, don't be deceived. That's not how this works. When you sow into the kingdom, the kingdom reaps the benefit of it. I remember praying at the church that I was saved in. I would hear the pastor pray during the offering time. Does anybody remember an offering time? So an offering time. And the pastor would pray, Lord, one of the things he would say, and I never forgot it, Lord, I love this, multiply the purchasing power of every gift. What a great thing to pray. So whatever's given, Lord, help us to get the discounts we need to make this work, the donations other places, or help things to be on sale. Hallelujah. And God was faithful to do that. God can stretch a kingdom dollar like nobody's business. We've seen it time and time again here at Grace Covenant Church. It's easy to slip into thinking our actions don't matter, but this verse, this text reminds us that everything we think and everything we sow matters. Can I just encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you to tell you that the local church and the kingdom of God can do more with your faithful, generous, and at times sacrificial gift than it can do for you in your bank account. It's true. It's absolutely true. Well, let me move on, shall I? Or you want me to stay? You want me to do some more money preaching? No? Okay. Uh, the final point this morning, this morning under our richly sharing is this. We are rich in good works. We're rich in good works. In verse 10, Galatians 6.10 the Bible says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The people of God, the men and women who have been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ should be among the most generous people on the face of the planet. Generous with whatever we have. If you've got a lot of time, generous with your time. If you've got a lot of talent, and I've met some of you and you do, and I love to see you use it, you're generous with your talent. If you've got a lot of treasure, you're generous with your treasure. We as Christians are generous with all three in whatever measure we have. But there's a qualifier there in that verse. Look in your Bibles at verse 10. It's interesting what it says. So then, as we have opportunity, some seasons you'll have opportunity, some seasons you may not. You may have a lot going on at home that needs to be dealt with, providing for your family. 
You can't give as generously to all the things you normally can. There may come another season where you're able to. It's okay. As we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, look at what it says. Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. I want to say something that's not very popular in 2022 in our church era. But the household of faith here is clearly talking about the local church. It's where we find our identity and our security in the family of God. It's where we receive nurture and nourishment, encouragement and support. We benefit from the teaching and training, the modeling and mentoring, the discipline and the discipleship. It is our spiritual home. And our generosity starts here and then goes there outside the walls. We start here, and then as we're able, we contribute to other Christian ministries or worthy causes like faith, hope, and love or change choices. But we don't start there and then give the church what's left over. That puts us out of step with clear biblical teaching and out of step with the principle here. We should never be in a position where we have nothing left to give our local church because we've invested all of our resources everywhere else. We should also not be so exhausted from doing good with our time and our talent everywhere else that we never show up to do anything to serve in the local church. As we study God's word, we find that being filled with the Spirit primarily affects our relationships with others. Our individualistic society promotes personal autonomy at the highest goal. The Bible does not. It calls us into a family, and a family that we need the Holy Spirit to love in a way that glorifies God. As we walk in the Spirit, we walk together as a family. We'll be a blessing to those that are around us, and God will bless us. I'm going to ask Julia to come this morning and play as we have a moment to reflect. A church family that is together in the Spirit really cares for one another. We're going to run after that one that's fallen into sin. We're going to do it with humility and gentleness. Those who are under heavy burdens of adversity, we're going to care for them. And we're going to carry our own load so that we're not a burden to somebody else unnecessarily. And a church that walks in step with the Spirit is also one that richly shares with great joy, faithfully, generously, and at times sacrificially with everything that God has blessed us with. What's in the way of that kind of caring and sharing today. Pride, an exaggerated opinion of ourselves, disobedience, unbelief, sowing to the flesh instead of sowing to the spirit. Julia's about to play. Here's my question for your prayer time as you reflect this morning. This week, if you think back over this week, just this week, which field have you been sowing into the most? The field labeled it's all about me or the field labeled it's all about Jesus. Maybe some of us need to repent, reorient. Maybe some of us need to rejoice that we see the Spirit at work in our lives. Let's pray.
The worship team's coming to lead us in one final song this morning as we're dismissed. God has been so good to us. He's called us to do this thing called life together in the Spirit. If you haven't melted to your pew, let's stand together now and close in a song of worship.